Chapter One of the Chronicles of Count Antonio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett Downey. The Chronicles of Count Antonio by Anthony Hope. How Count Antonio took to the hills. Countless are the stories told of the sayings that Count Antonio spoke and of the deeds that he did when he dwelt as an outlaw in the hills for tales and legends gather round his name thick as the berries hang on a bush and with the passage of every succeeding year it grows harder to discern where truth lies and where the love of wonder working together with the sway of a great man's memory has wrought the embroidery of its fancy on the plain robe of fact yet amid all that is of uncertain knowledge and so must rest this much at least should be known and remembered for the honor of a noble family how it fell out that count antonio a man of high lineage forsook the service of his prince disdained the obligation of his rank set law at naught and did what seemed indeed in his own eyes to be good but was held by many to be nothing other than the work of a rebel and a brigand yet although it is by these names that men often speak of him they love his memory and i also ambrose the franciscan having gathered diligently all that i could come by in the archives of the city or from the lips of the aged folks have learned to love it in some sort thus i am minded to write before the time that i must carry what i know with me to the grave the full and whole truth concerning antonio's flight from the city and the court seeking in my heart as i write excuse for him and finding in the record if little else yet a tale that lovers must read in pride and sorrow and if this be not too high a hope that princes may study for profit and for warning now it was in the tenth year of the reign of duke valentine over the city of fermola its territories and dependent towns that count antonio of monte velluto having with him a youthful cousin of his whom he loved greatly and whom by reason of his small stature and of a boyish gaiety that he had men called tomasino came from his own house on the hill that fronts the great gate of the city to the palace of the duke with intent to ask his highness's sanction for his marriage with the lady lucia this lady being then seventeen years of age loved antonio and he her and troth had been privily plighted between them for many months and such was the strength and power of the love they bore the one to the other that even to this day the old mock at young lovers who show themselves over fond saying tis lucia and antonio but since the lady lucia was an orphan antonio came now to the duke who enjoyed wardship over her and setting out his passion and how that his estate was sufficient and his family such as the duke knew prayed leave of his highness to wed her but the duke a crafty and subtle prince knowing antonio's temper and the favor in which he was held by the people counted not to augment his state and revenues by the gift of a bride so richly dowered but chose rather to give her to a favorite of his a man in whose devotion he could surely trust and whose disposition was to serve his master in all things fair and foul open or secret such an one the duke found in the lord robert de beauregard a gentleman of provence who had quitted his own country having been drawn into some tumult there and having taken service with the duke had risen to a great place in his esteem and confidence therefore when antonio preferred his request the duke with many a courteous regretful phrase made him aware that the lady stood promised to robert by the irrevocable sanctity of his princely pledge so forget i pray you my good cousin antonio said he 
forget as young men lightly can this desire of yours and it shall be my charge to find you a bride full as fair as the lady lucia but antonio's face went red from brow to chin as he answered my gracious lord i love the lady and she me and neither can wed another as for my lord robert your highness knows well that she loves him not a girl's love smiled the duke a girl's love it rains and shines and shines and rains antonio it has shown on me since she knew a man when she looked on him said antonio and tomasino who stood by recking as little of the duke as of the duke's deerhound which he was patting the while broke in saying carelessly and this robert my lord is not the man for a pretty girl to love he is a sour fellow i thank you for your counsel my lord tomasino smiled the duke yet i love him whereat tomasino lifted his brows and patted the hound again it is enough added the duke i have promised antonio it is enough yes it is enough said antonio and he and tomasino having bowed low withdrew from the presence of the duke but when he got clear outside of the duke's cabinet antonio laid his hand on tomasino's shoulder saying it is not well that robert have her it is mighty ill said tomasino and then they walked in silence to the city gate and in silence still climbed the rugged hill where antonio's house stood but the duke sent for robert de beauregard into his cabinet and said to him if you be wise friend robert little grass shall grow under your feet this side of your marriage this antonio says not much but i have known him outrun his tongue with deeds if the lady were as eager as i the matter would not halt said robert with a laugh but she weeps and spits fire at me and cries for antonio she will be cured after the wedding said the duke see that she be well guarded robert let a company of your men watch her i have known the bride to be missing on a marriage day ere now if he can touch her he can wed her cried robert the pikemen are close about her house and she can neither go in nor come forth without their knowledge it is well said the duke yet delay not they are stubborn men these counts of monte Velluto. now had the lady lucia been of a spirit as haughty as her lovers it may be that she would have refused to wed robert de beauregard she was afraid when antonio was with her she had clung to him and he loved her the more for her timidity with him gone and forbidden to come near her she dared not resist the duke's will nor brave his displeasure so that a week before the day which the duke had appointed for the wedding she sent to antonio bidding him abandon hope that was vain and set himself to forget a most unhappy lady robert shall not have her said antonio putting the letter in his belt then the time is short said tomasino they were walking together on the terrace before antonio's house whence they looked on the city across the river antonio cast his eye on the river and on the wall of the duke's garden that ran along it fair trees shrubs and flowers lined the top of the wall and the water gleamed in the sunshine it is strange said antonio musing that one maiden can darken for a man all the world that god lights with his son yet since so it is tomasino a man can be but a man and being a man he is a poor man if he stand by while another takes his love and that other a stranger and as i swear a cutthroat added tomasino when they had dined and the evening began to come on antonio made his servants saddle the best horses in his stable though indeed the choice was small for antonio was not rich as a man of his rank counts riches and the two rode down the hill toward the city but as they went antonio turned once and again in his saddle and gazed long at the old gray house 
the round tower, and the narrow gate. Why look behind and not forward? asked Tomasino. Because there is a foreboding in me, answered Antonio, that it will be long before that gate again I pass through. Were there a hope of persuading you, Tomasino, I would bid you turn back and leave me to go alone on this errand. Keep your breath against when you have to run, laughed Tomasino, pricking his horse and tossing his hair, dark as Antonio's was fair, back from his neck. Across the bridge they rode and through the gates, and having traversed the great square, came to the door of Lucia's house, where it rose fronting the duke's palace. Here Antonio dismounted, giving his bridle into Tomasino's hand, and bade the servants carry his name to the lady Lucia. A stir arose among them, and much whispering, till an old man, head of the serving-men, came forward, saying, Pardon, my lord, but we are commanded not to admit you to the Lady Lucia. And he waved his hand toward the inner part of the porch, where Antonio saw a dozen or more pikemen of the duke's guard, drawn across the passage to the house, and their pikes flashed in the rays of the setting sun as they leveled them in front of their rank. Some of the townsmen and apprentice lads, stout fellows, each with a staff, had gathered now around Antonio, whom they loved for his feats of strength and his liberal gifts to the poor. And, understanding what was afoot, one came to him, saying, There are some, my lord, who would enter with you if you are set on entering. And the fellow's eyes sparkled, for there was a great enmity in the town against the pikemen, and a lusty youth with a stick in his hand is never loath to find a use for it. For a moment Count Antonio hesitated, for they flocked closer to him, and Tomasino threw him a glance of appeal and touched the hilt of his sword. But he would not that the blood of men who were themselves loved by mothers, wives, and maids should be shed in his quarrel, and he raised his hand, bidding them be still. I have no quarrel with the pikemen, said he, and we must not fight against his highness's servants. The faces of the townsmen grew long in disappointment. Tomasino alone laughed low, recognizing in Antonio's gentleness the lull that heralds a storm. The count was never more dangerous than when he praised submission. But, continued Antonio, I would fain see the Lady Lucia. And with this he stepped inside the porch, signing to Tomasino to stay where he was. But the lad would not, and, leaping down, ran to his kinsman and stood shoulder to shoulder with him. Thus they stood facing the line of pikemen, when suddenly the opposing rank opened, and Robert de Beauregard himself came through. Starting slightly on sight of Antonio, he yet bowed courteously, bearing his head, and Antonio, with Tomasino, did the like. "'What is your desire, my lord?' asked Robert. "'I have not to ask of you,' answered Antonio, and he took a step forward. Robert's hand flew to his sword, and in a moment they would have fought. But now another figure came forward, with uplifted hand. It was the duke himself, and he looked on Antonio with his dark smile, and Antonio flushed red. "'You seek me, Antonio?' asked the duke. "'I seek not your highness, but my plighted wife,' said Antonio. Duke Valentine smiled still. Coming to Antonio, he passed his arm through his, and said in a most friendly fashion, "'Come with me to my house, and we will talk of this.' And Antonio, caught fast in the choice between obedience and open revolt, went frowning across the square, the duke's arm through his, Robert on the duke's other side, and behind, Tomasino with the horses. But as they went, a sudden cry came from the house they left, and a girl's face showed for an instant, tear-stained and pallid, at an open window. A shiver ran through Antonio, but the duke, pressing his arm, he went still in silence. At the door of the palace, a lackey took the horses from Tomasino, 
and the four passed through the great hall and through the duke's cabinet beyond and into the garden there the duke sat down under the wall of the garden near by the fish pond and turning suddenly on antonio spoke to him fiercely men have died at my hands for less said he then for each of such shall you answer to god retorted antonio not less hotly you scout my commands in the face of all the city said the duke in low stern tones now by heaven if you seek to see the girl again i will hang you from the tower of the gate so be warned now once there shall be no second warning he ceased and sat with angry eyes on antonio and robert who stood by his master glared as fierce but antonio was silent for a while and rested his arm on tomasino's shoulder my fathers have served and fought for your fathers said he at last what has this gentleman done for the duchy then robert spoke suddenly and scornfully this he is ready to do to punish an insolent knave that braves his highness's will antonio seemed not to hear him for he did not move but stood with eyes bent on the duke's face looking whether his appeal should reach its mark but tomasino heard yet never a word spoke tomasino either drew off the heavy riding-glove from his left hand and it hung dangling in the fingers of his right and he looked at the glove and at robert and at the gloves again i would his highness were not here said tomasino to robert with a smile hold your peace boy said robert or the duke will have you whipped youth loves not to be taunted with its blessed state i have no more to say cried tomasino and without more caring not now for the presence of the duke he flung his heavy glove full in robert's face and starting back a pace drew his sword then antonio knew that the die was cast for tomasino would gain no mercy having insulted the duke's favorite and drawn his sword in the duke's palace and he also drew out his sword and the pair stood facing the duke and robert de beauregard it was but for an instant that they stood thus then robert who did not lack courage to resent a blow unsheathed and rushed at the boy antonio left his cousin to defend himself and bowing low to the duke set his sword at the duke's breast before the duke could so much as rise from his seat i would not touch your highness said he but these gentlemen must not be interrupted you have me at a disadvantage cried the duke if you will swear not to summon your guard i will sheath my sword my lord or if you will honor me by crossing yours on mine you shall draw yours the place where they sat was hidden from the palace windows yet the duke trusted that the sound of the clashing steel would bring aid therefore not desiring to fight with antonio for duke valentine loved to scheme rather than to strike he sat still answering nothing and now tomasino and robert were engaged robert attacking furiously and tomasino parrying him as coolly as though they fenced for pastime in the school it was tomasino's fault to think of naught but the moment and he did not remember that every second might bring the guard upon them and antonio would not call it to his mind but said to the duke the boy will kill him sir he is a finer swordsman than i and marvellously active then the duke having been pondering on his course and knowing antonio sitting there with the count's sword against his breast did by calculation what many a man braver in fight had not dared to do there was in truth a courage in it for all that it was born of shrewdness for thus with a sword on his heart fixing a calm glance on antonio he cried as loudly as he could help help treason antonio drew back his arm for the stroke and the duke sat still then swift as thought antonio laughed bowed to duke valentine and turning rushed between the fighters striking up their swords 
In amazement they stood for a moment. Antonio drove his sword into its sheath, and, while Robert was yet astounded, he rushed on him, caught him by the waist, and putting forth his strength, flung him clear and far into the fish-pond. Then, seizing Tomasino by the arm, he started with him at a run for the great hall. The duke rose, crying loudly, "'Treason! Treason!' But Antonio cried, "'Treason! Treason!' yet louder than the duke. And presently Tomasino, who had frowned at his pastime being interrupted, fell a-laughing, and between the laughs cried, "'Treason! Treason!' with Antonio. And at the entrance of the hall they met a dozen pikemen running, and Antonio, pointing over his shoulder, called in tones of horror, "'Treason! Treason!' And Tomasino cried, "'The duke! Help the duke!' So that they passed, untouched, through the pikemen, who hesitated an instant in bewilderment, but then swept on, for they heard the duke's own voice crying still, "'Treason! Treason!' And through the hall and out onto the portico passed the cousins, echoing their cries of, "'Treason!' And every man they met went whither they pointed, and when they leapt on their horses, the very lackey that had held them dropped the bridles with hasty speed, and ran into the palace crying, Treason! Then Antonio, Tomasino ever following, and both yet crying, Treason! dashed across the square, and on the way they met the pikemen who guarded the Lady Lucia, and the townsmen who were mocking and snarling at the pikemen, and to the pikemen and townsmen alike they cried, though Tomasino hardly could speak now for laughter and lack of breath, Treason! Treason! and all to whom they cried flocked to the palace, crying in their turn, Treason! Treason! So that the people ran out of every house in the neighborhood, and hurried to the palace, crying, Treason! And every one asking his neighbor what the treason was. And thus, by the time in which a man might count a hundred, a crowd was pushing and pressing and striving round the gate of the palace, and the cousins were alone on the other side of the great square. Now thanks be to God for that idea, gasped Tomasino but Antonio gave not thanks till his meal was ended. Raising his voice as he halted his horse before the Lady Lucia's house, he called loudly, no longer treason, but Lucia. And she, knowing his voice, looked out again from the window, but some hand plucked her away as soon as she had but looked. Then Antonio leapt from his horse with an oath and ran to the door, and finding it unguarded, he rushed in, leaving Tomasino seated on one horse and holding the other, with one eye on Lucia's house, and the other on the palace, praying that, by the favor of heaven, Antonio might come out again before the crowd round the duke's gates discovered why it was, to a man crying treason. But in the palace of the duke there was great confusion, for the pikeman, finding Robert de Beauregard scrambling out of the fish-pond with a drawn sword in his hand, and his highness crying treason with the best of them, must have it that the traitor was none other than Robert himself, and in their dutiful zeal they came nigh to making an end of him then and there for the duke could gain silence enough to render his account of the affair audible. And when the first pikemen were informed, there came others, and these others, finding the first thronging round the duke and Robert, cried out on them for the traitors, and were on the point of engaging them. And when they also had been with difficulty convinced, and the two parties, with his highness and Robert, turned to the pursuit of the cousins, they found the whole of the great hall utterly blocked by a concourse of townsmen, delighted beyond measure at the chance of an affray with the hated pikemen, who, they conceived, must beyond doubt be the wicked traitors that had risen in arms against the duke's life and throne. Narrowly indeed was a great battle in the hall averted by the duke himself, who leaped upon a high seat and spoke long and earnestly to the people, persuading them that not the pikemen, but Antonio and Tomasino were the traitors, which the townsmen found hard to believe. 
in part because they wished not to believe ill of Antonio, and more inasmuch as every man there knew, and the women and children also, that Antonio and Tomasino, and none else of all the city had raised the alarm. But some hearkened at last, and with these and a solid wedge of pikemen, the duke and Robert, with much ado, thrust their way through the crowd and won access to the door of the palace. In what time a thousand men may be convinced, you may hope to turn one woman's mind. And at the instant that the duke gained the square with his friends and his guards, Count Antonio had prevailed on the Lady Lucia to brave his highness's wrath. It is true that he had met with some resistance from the steward, who was in Robert's pay, and had tarried to buffet the fellow into obedience, and with more from an old governess, who, since she could not be buffeted, had perforce to be locked in a cupboard. Yet the better part of the time had been spent in imploring Lucia herself. At last, with many fears and some tears, she had yielded, and it was with glad eyes that Tomasino saw the Count come forth from the door, carrying Lucia on his arm. And others saw him also, for a great shout came from the Duke's party across the square, and the pikemen set out at a run, with Robert himself at their head. Yet so soon as they were started, Antonio also, bearing Lucia in his arms, had reached where Tomasino was with the horses. And an instant later he was mounted and cried, To the gate! And he struck in his spurs, and his horse bounded forward, Tomasino following. No more than a hundred yards lay between them and the gate of the city, and before the pikemen could bar their path they had reached the gate. The gate wardens were in the act of shutting it, having perceived the tumult, but Tomasino struck at them with the flat of his sword, and they gave way before the rushing horses, and before the great gate was shut, Antonio and he were on their way through, and the hoofs of their horses clattered over the bridge. Thus Antonio was clear of the city with his lady in his arms, and Tomasino his cousin safe by his side. Yet they were not safe, for neither Duke Valentine nor Robert de Beauregard was a man who sat down under defeat. But few moments had passed before there issued from the gate a company of ten mounted and armed men, and Robert, riding in the front, saw, hard on a mile away, the cousins heading across the plain towards the spot where the spurs of Mount Agnino run down, for there was the way of safety. But it was yet ten miles away, and Robert and his company galloped furiously in pursuit, while Duke Valentine watched from the wall of the garden above the river. Now Kent Antonio was a big man, and heavy, so that his horse was weighed down by the twofold burden on its back, and looking behind him, he perceived that Robert's company drew nearer and yet nearer, and Tomasino, looking also, said, I doubt they are too many for us, for you have the lady in your arms. We shall not get clear of the hills. Then Antonio drew in his horse a little, and letting the bridle fall, took the Lady Lucia in both his arms and kissed her, having thus done, lifted her and set her on Tomasino's horse. Thank God, said he, that you are no heavier than a feather. Yet two feathers may be too much, said Tomasino. Ride on, said Antonio. I will check them for a time, so that you shall come safe to the outset of the hill. Tomasino obeyed him, and Antonio, riding more softly now, placed himself between Tomasino and the pursuers. Tomasino rode on with the swooning lady in his arms, but his face was grave and troubled, for, as he said, two feathers may be overmuch, and Robert's company rode well and swiftly. If Antonio can stop them, it is well, said he, but if not, I shall not reach the hills. And he looked with no great love on the unhappy lady, for it seemed like enough that Antonio would be slain for her sake, and Tomasino prized him above a thousand damsels. Yet he rode on, obedient. But Antonio's scheme had not passed undetected by Robert de Beauregard, and Robert, being a man of guile and cunning, swore aloud an oath that, though he died himself, 
yet Tommasino should not carry off Lucia. Therefore he charged his men, one and all, to ride after Tommasino and bring back Lucia, leaving him alone to contend with Antonio. And they were not loath to obey, for it was little to their taste or wish to surround Antonio and kill him. Thus, when the company came within fifty yards of Antonio, the ranks suddenly parted, five diverged to the right and four to the left, passing Antonio in sweeping curves, so far off that he could not reach them, while Robert alone rode straight at him. Antonio, perceiving the stratagem, would fain have ridden again after Tomasino, but Robert was hard upon him, and he was in peril of being thrust through the back as he fled. So he turned and faced his enemy. But although Robert had sworn so boldly before his men, his mind was not what he had declared to them, and he desired to meet Antonio alone, not that he might fight a fair fight with him, but in order treacherously to deceive him, a thing he was ashamed to do before his comrades. Coming up then to Antonio, he reined in his horse, crying, My lord, I bring peace from his highness. Antonio wondered to hear him, yet when Robert, his sword lying untouched in its sheath, sprang from his horse and approached him, he dismounted also. And Robert said to him, I have charged them to injure neither the Lady Lucia nor your cousin by so much as a hair, for the Duke bids me say that he will not constrain the Lady. Is she then given to me? cried Antonio, his face lighting up with a marvellous eagerness. Nay, not so fast, answered Robert with a subtle cunning. The Duke will not give her to you now, but he will exact from you and from me alike an oath not to molest, no, not to see her for three months, and then she shall choose as she will between us. While he spoke this fair speech, he had been drawing nearer to Antonio, and Antonio, not yet convinced of his honesty, drew back a pace. Then Robert let go hold of his horse, unbuckled his sword, flung it on the ground, and came to Antonio with outstretched hands. Behold, said he, I am in your mercy, my lord. If you do not believe me, slay me. Antonio looked at him with searching, wistful eyes. He hated to war against the duke and his heart was aflame with the hope that dwelt for him in Robert's words, and he did not doubt but that neither three months nor three years nor three hundred years could change his lady's love. "'You speak fair, sir,' said he, "'but what warrant have I?' "'And, save your honour, what warrant have I, who stand here unarmed before you?' asked Robert. For a while Antonio pondered. Then he said, "'My lord, I must crave your pardon for my doubt.' But the matter is so great that to your word I dare not trust. But if you will ride back with your men and pray the Duke to send me a promise under his own hand, to that I will trust. And meanwhile, Tomasino, with the Lady Lucia, shall abide in a safe place, and I will stay here, awaiting your return. And, if you will, let two of your men stay with me. Many a man, my lord, returned Robert, would take your caution in bad part. But let it be so. Come, we will ride after my company and he rose and caught Antonio's horse by the bridle and brought it to him. "'Mount, my lord,' said he, standing by. Antonio, believing either that the man was true or that his treachery, if treachery there were in him, was foiled, and seeing him to all seeming unarmed, save for a little dagger in his belt, which would hardly suffice to kill a man, and was more a thing of ornament than use, set his foot in the stirrup and prepared to mount. And in so doing he turned his back on Robert de Beauregard, the moment for which that wicked man had schemed and lied was come. Still holding Antonio's stirrup with one hand, he drew, swift as lightning, from under his cloak, a dagger different far from the toy in his belt, short, strong, broad, and keen. And that moment had been Antonio's last, had it not chanced that, on the instant Robert drew the dagger, 
the horse started a pace aside and antonio taking unawares stumbled forward and came near falling on the ground his salvation lay in that stumble for robert having put all his strength into the blow and then striking not antonio but empty air in his turn staggered forward and could not recover himself before antonio turned round a smile at his own unwariness on his lips then he saw the broad keen knife in the hand of robert robert breathed quickly and glared at him but did not rush on him he stood glaring the knife in his hands his parted lips displaying grinning teeth not a word spoke antonio but he drew his sword and pointed where robert's sword lay on the grass the traitor recognizing the grace that allowed him to take his sword shamed it may be by such return for his own treachery in silence lifted and drew it and withdrawing to a distance from the horses which quietly cropped the grass the two faced one another calm and easy were the bearing and the air of count antonio if the pictures of him that live drawn in the words of those who knew him be truthful calm and easy ever was he save when he fought but then it seemed as though there came upon him a sort of fury akin to madness or as the ancients would have fabled to some inspiration from the god of war which transformed him utterly imbuing him with a rage and rushing impetuosity here lay his danger when matched with such a swordsman as was little tomasino but for all that few cared to meet him some saying that though they call themselves as brave as others yet they seem half appalled when count antonio set upon them for he fought as though he must surely win and as though god were with him thus now he darted upon robert de beauregard in seeming recklessness of receiving thrusts himself yet ever escaping them by his sudden resource and dexterity and ever himself attacking leaving no space to take breath and bewildering the other's practised skill by the dash and brilliance of his assault and it may be also that the darkness which was now falling fast hindered robert the more for antonio was feigned for the keenness of his eye by night be these things as they may in the very moment when robert pricked antonio in the left arm and cried out in triumph on his stroke antonio leapt on him and drove his sword through his heart and robert with the sword yet in him fell to the ground groaning and when antonio drew forth the sword the man at his feet died thus if it be god's will may all traitors perish antonio looked round the plain but it grew darker still and even his sight did not avail for more than some threescore yards yet he saw a dark mass on his right distant as he judged that space or more rapidly it moved surely it was a group of men galloping and antonio stood motionless regarding them but they swept on not turning whither he stood and he unable to tell what they did whether they sought him or whither they went watched them till they faded away in the darkness and then leaving robert where he lay he mounted his horse and made speed towards the hills praying that there he should find his cousin and the lady lucia escaped from the pursuit of the duke's men yet had he known what those dimly discerned riders bore with them he would have been greatly moved at all costs and at every hazard to follow after them and seek to overtake them before they came to the city on he rode towards the hills quickly yet not so hastily but he scanned the ground as he went so well as the night allowed him the moon was risen now and to see was easier when he had covered a distance of some two miles he perceived something lying across his path bending to look he found it to be the corpse of a horse he leapt down and bent over it it was the horse tomasino had ridden it was hamstrung and its throat had been cut antonio seeing it in sudden apprehension of calamity cried aloud and to his wonder his cry was answered by a voice which came from a clump of bushes fifty yards on the right he ran hastily to the spot 
thinking nothing of his own safety, nor of anything else than what had befallen his friends, and under the shelter of the bushes two men of the Duke's guard, their horses tethered near them, squatted on the ground, and between, Tomasino lay full length on the ground. His face was white, his eyes closed, and a bloody bandage was about his head. One of the two by him had forced his lips open and was giving him to drink from a bottle. The other sprang up on sight of Antonio and laid a hand to his sword-hilt. Peace, peace, said Antonio. Is the lad dead? He is not dead, my lord, but he is sore hurt. And what do you do with him here? And how did you take him? We came up with him here and surrounded him, and while some of us held him in front, one cut the hamstrings of his horse from behind, and the horse fell, and with the horse the lady and the young lord. He was up in an instant, but as he rose, the lieutenant struck him on the head and dealt him the wound you see. Then he could fight no more, and the lieutenant took the lady, and with the rest rode back towards the city, leaving us charged with the duty of bringing the young lord in so soon as he was in a state to come with us. They took the lady? Even so, my lord. And why did they not seek for me? The fellow, Martolo was his name, smiled grimly, and his comrade, looking up, answered, Maybe they did not wish to find you, my lord. They had been eight to one, and could not have failed to take you in the end. Aye, in the end, said Martolo, laughing now. Nor, added he, had the lieutenant such great love for Robert de Beauregard that he would rejoice to deliver you to death for his sake, seeing that you are a Monte Voluto, and he a rascally... Peace, he is dead, said Count Antonio. You have killed him? they cried with one voice. He attacked me in treachery, and I have killed him, answered Antonio. For a while there was silence, and then Antonio asked, The lady, did she go willingly? She was frightened and dazed by her fall, my lord. She knew not what she did, nor what they did to her. And the lieutenant took her in front of him, and holding her with all gentleness, so rode towards the city. God keep her, said Antonio. Amen, poor lady, said Martolo, doffing his cap. Then Antonio whistled to his horse, which came to his side. With a gesture he bade the men stand aside, and they obeyed him, and he gathered Tomasino in his arms. Hold my stirrup, that I may mount, said he, and still they obeyed. But when they saw him mounted, with Tomasino seated in front of him, Martolo cried out, But, my lord, we are charged to take him back and deliver him to the duke. And if you do? asked Antonio. Martolo made a movement as of one tying a noose. And if you do not? asked Antonio. Then we had best not show ourselves alive to the duke. Antonio looked down on them. To whom do you bear allegiance? said he. To his highness the duke, they answered, uncovering as they spoke. And to whom besides? asked Antonio. To none besides, they answered, wondering. Aye, but you do, said he. To one who wills not that you should deliver to death a lad who has done but what his honor bade him. God's counsel God knows, said Martolo. We are dead men if we return alone to the city. You had best slay us yourself, my lord, if we not carry the young lord with us. You are honest lads, are you not? he asked. By your faces you are men of the city. So are we, my lord, but we serve the duke in his guard for reward. I love the men of the city as they love me, said Antonio, and a few pence a day should not buy a man's soul as well as his body. The two men looked at one another in perplexity. The fear and deference in which they held Antonio forbade them to fall on him, yet they dared not let him take Tomasino. Then, as they stood doubting, he spoke low and softly to them. When he that should give law and uphold right deals wrong, 
and makes white black and black white it is for gentlemen and honest men to be a law unto themselves mount your horses then and follow me and so long as i am safe you shall be safe and so long as i live you shall live and while i eat and drink you shall have to drink and eat and you shall be my servants and when the time of god's will whereof god forbid that i should doubt is come i will go back to her i love and you shall go back to them that love you and men shall say that you have proved yourselves true men and good thus it was that two men of the duke's guard martolo and he whom they called benna for of his true name there is no record went together with count antonio and his cousin tomasino to a secret fastness in the hills and there in the course of many days tomasino was healed of the wound which the lieutenant of the guard had given him and rode his horse again and held next place to antonio himself in the band that gathered round them for there came to them every man that was wrongfully oppressed and some came for love of adventure and because they hoped to strike good blows and some came whom antonio would not receive inasmuch as they were greater rogues than were those whose wrath they fled from such is the tale of how count antonio was outlawed from the duke's peace and took to the hills faithfully have i set it down and whoso will may blame the count and whoso will may praise him for myself i thank heaven that i am well rid of this same troublesome passion of love that likens one man to a lion and another to a fox but the lady lucia being brought back to the city by the lieutenant of the guard was lodged in her own house and the charge of her was commended by the duke into the hands of a discreet lady and for a while his highness for very shame forbore to trouble her with suitors for he said in his bitter humour as he looked down on the dead body of robert de beauregard i have lost two good servants and four strong arms through her and mayhap if i find her another suitor she will rob me of yet another stalwart gentleman so she abode in peace indeed but in sore desolation and sorrow longing for the day when count antonio should come back to seek her and again she was closely guarded by the duke end of chapter recording by brett downey